Good day? Good day so far? Hey, seriously, we can't thank you enough for hanging out with us at New Spring Church today. We hope you've been well served. We hope you enjoyed some Chick-fil-A lunch, nothing like Christian chicken to um, make the day go a little bit better. And I uh, hope you were well served in the breakouts. Um, want to say thank you one more time to all the amazing volunteers that have helped put this together. And, and really, and we, these guys never get any credit, but the, the, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, the technical stuff, the wires, all this stuff, it doesn't just happen. The sound, the lights, everything has to take place behind the scenes. These guys worked for hours and hours and hours this week just to make sure everything was ready for you. So could you share with them how much you just appreciate the sound and the lights and... Yeah. Let me pray, and uh, we're going to dive right in. Father, thank you so much, God, that you provide rest. Um, rest is found in you. And Jesus, I pray that during this last session together, as church leaders, that we would walk out of here um, not overcame by the problems that we came in with. Um, we would walk out of here just knowing that you reign and that you're in control. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that nothing's impossible for you. All God's people said, hey, if you have a Bible, go to John 11. While you're turning to John 11, let me set it up like this. My wife, whose name is Lucretia, she's white. (laughs) Somebody always ask. Somebody always ask. And I'm like, does it matter? Well, no, man, I was just curious. All right, so anyway, she, uh, she... is a, um, like a detailed, organized person. She's very detailed. She plans. She writes things down, color-coded calendar, detailed, organized. How many of you are the type A people right here? Would you raise your hand? Come on, raise your hand. Okay, that's good. A lot of y'all here. It's probably why your churches are growing. Anyway, so no, seriously, they, I, I've, I have to hire these people because I'm not these people. And so I, I, she's type A, and she's organized. Well, our first year that we were married, we were a, married on April 8th, 2000, that June um, was the, the first birthday as, as a married couple. And I was like, well, maybe somebody will call me and take me out to dinner because I'm the pastor and I'm awesome and they should. But <laughs> nobody did. Nobody called. Nobody emailed. And this is back when dial-up email was, you know, you know some of you don't even know what dial-up is. Um, that's when you had to unplug your phone and plug it into your computer and it made really weird noises like, it did that thing. And so to me, I have no idea what that is. So I was checking email, and nobody called. Nobody did anything. Nobody did anything. And so I was all depressed, and that Saturday rolled around, and I was like, Lucretia, um, I, don't, I don't think I have any friends. And she said, I, you probably don't. You know? And so it was, she, she, she encouraged me a little bit. She's like, well, why don't we go to dinner, just me and you, and we can have a, a fun time. And I'm like, yeah. And inside I'm like, no, it's my birthday. I want a huge party. I've never really grown up. So... We drove to Greenville, and I'm kind of pouting and all this stuff. Now, you got my, my wife's type A. She's detailed. She's organized. What I didn't know is that she had planned a surprise party for me. She had worked on it for over a month, a month and a half, and I had no idea. Zero. None. I thought, I mean, I was, I was right there on the borderline of stepping out in front of a bus because nobody loved me, right? <laughs> And she's, she, listen, she's playing it so well. She had worked as hard as a type A person could work, planning 
this event. I had no idea. I was, com- I was clueless. You also need to keep in mind, she's a second-degree black belt. So, right, so there's something in the file back here. So, so we get to the restaurant, and we walk in. And I still don't know. I still do not know. And we walk up to the hostess stand, and she says, I've called ahead for reservations, noble, party of, and the hostess goes, oh, yeah, you're the big party in the back. At that point, I did what every man should do in a situation like that. I walked away. Because, because when my wife killed her, I didn't want to have to testify against my wife. Well, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever seen Mortal Kombat where they rip the skull and like the, the backbone's just kind of dangling? I thought, that's poor host. My wife, just I, literally, I did. I'm not even, I said, I got to go to the bathroom. I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just didn't want to be there anymore. I walked away and the night was fun and they had a birthday cake and everything was awesome. But I remember my wife being so disappointed that things didn't work out the way that she planned on them working out. You know what? That's ministry, isn't it? How many of you are here today, either here or next door, that there is something going on in your church? That, like you planned something and it didn't quite work out the way you thought it was going to work out. Would you raise your hands and just be honest? And if you, if you don't have your hand raised, you planted your church yesterday. <laughs> I'm not being a pessimist. I just know something's going to go wrong. And when something goes wrong, I don't know about you, I feel like the dumbest person in the world. And I remember when I first started going to conferences, I used to go to conferences. I kind of felt like they should call the conference the You're Stupid Conference. You ever been there? Hey, what'd you learn in the conference? I learned I'm stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. We're awesome. You're stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. Uh, Yes, I got the You're Stupid t-shirt, and we walk away from the You're Stupid Conference, and we think there's nothing we do right because we plan this, and it didn't go right, and we plan this, and it didn't go right, and we plan this, and we didn't go right. And you know what I realized? As a leader, if something has gone wrong in your church, it's, you might be stupid, but you're probably not. You're, listen, I want you to leave here today not thinking that you're stupid, but I want you here to, leaving here today thinking, you know what? It didn't work out the way I planned on it working out, but that's only because God has a bigger plan anyway. So I'm going to let go of my plan and I'm going to grab a hold of his, even though I don't really know what it is yet. But I'm going to hold on to what I'm going to hold on to his promise, rather than grabbing a hold of my plan. Today, all I want to do in this session is help us as church leaders let go of our plans, so we can grab a hold of his promise. And I'm going to do that by walking through four questions that I believe leaders should ask. And it's through it's from a pretty popular story. In fact, if you you, you know, John 11, it's Lazarus and stuff. Many of you have taught this text much better than I'm about to teach it. But as I began to read through this text, and I began to prepare for this, I began to pray, God, what do you want me to do? I really felt in this last session that I'm supposed to encourage church leaders. So there's four questions in this text that we're going to read um, John chapter 11. We're going to read just about the whole chapter. And there's four questions I think you can jot down that really do help us get on the right track. And listen, listen, listen. If you're a church leader and something's not going according to plan, it's, it's not because you're stupid. It's not because you're stupid. It's probably because God has a bigger plan. So here, here we go. Question number one, question number one. What am I asking God for? What am 
I asking God for? You as a church leader, what you senior pastor, what are you asking God for? What is your staff praying for? What is your church praying for? What are we asking God for? Because you know what? God's never been overwhelmed by anything we've ever asked him to do. God, I mean, God can handle it. God can handle anything we ask him for. Now, we're going to pick this up in, in John chapter 11. It's a story about Jesus. Love his stuff. Saw his movie. Read his book. Um, John chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. I want to stop right there and just say that we have these people in our church, don't we? Sick people. Every week, we've got sick people that show up in our church. In fact, if you'll think about this, because sometimes I have to remind myself of this, I got into ministry because ultimately I want to help people. I love people. I love messed up people. I love, I love drug addict people. I love religious people. I, love, I just love people. But people are sick. You know how I know people are sick? Because since I've been in the ministry, I don't have normal conversations anymore. Do you? If you're a pastor, you do not have normal conversations. At the end of the service, you go stand in the lobby, all the normal people go home. (laughs) Don't they? And you got that one guy that finds you every week. Pastor, looking at porn. God, stop. (laughs) Will you pray for me? Yes, bow your head. God, thank you for not killing the pervert. Go home. But then, then, so, so what happens is we get mad at those people, but you know what? God is patient with them. We've got to learn to be patient as well. We got into ministry because there's because there's sick people. Hey, listen, I can't even go to a restaurant anymore. And, and I'll go to a restaurant. How you doing? Pastor P, I'm not doing good. I've been smoking crack. I'll keep the salt away from you because you'll probably try to line it up. Anyway, you know, you know what I'm saying? But ultimately, listen, those are the people that Jesus loves. The people that get on our nerves, Jesus died for those people. They are sick people. And you know what? I want to reach as many of them as possible. Because I, I, I want them to meet Jesus. Lost people to get found, found people to get grown up. That's why we got in ministry in the first place. That's why we got into ministry. If you're in ministry for any other reason than to see lost people get found and found people get grown up, you need to get out today. Because it's going to go bad for you at some point. So we got into ministry. And hopefully the, the prayers we're taking to God is because we really do care about people far from God. And we really do care about people growing closer to God. So watch this. The Bible says that Lazarus was sick. Now, I'm not going to give that much commentary after every verse because we would be here till next unleash, all right? The Bible says he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So they have that, they they know each other, okay? It's like not a stranger, you know, they're Facebook friends. So verse 3 says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I'm just going to say this. Mary and Martha got it right. They got a problem. What did they do? They took it to Jesus. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. 
As ministers, we know this. We know this. Every one of us in this room, in the ministry, at some point have had a problem in our church that's driven us to our knees. And we've been like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this person. I don't know what to do with this situation. I don't, want to do, I don't know what to do here. And we take it to Jesus. That's the right thing. That's never the wrong thing to take it to Jesus. So they, they pray and they ask Jesus basically to come and heal their brother. That's what this is. By the way, it's not a sin to ask God for big things because God can do it. It's not a sin to ask God for more people to get saved in your church because he says, ask me and I will give the nations to you. It's not a sin to ask God to help you find a building or land. It's not a sin to ask God these things. We should ask big because God is not intimidated by what we ask. I think God is offended most of the time by how little we ask rather than how much we ask. I mean, God says, like, God spoke the world into existence, and there are churches going, well, by faith, we think we're going to pay that parking lot this year. (laughs) Jesus died on the cross so we could pay parking lots by faith? Uh Uh-uh. Let's ask big. They asked Jesus, come heal our brother. Now, Jesus answers. Isn't that so cool? When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Well, that sucks, doesn't it? Can you imagine this? Jesus is sitting there, and they come to Jesus, and they say, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus goes, hey, hey, this sickness will not end in death. It is for the glory of God. (laughs) And all the disciples are like, um, we're going to go, hey, Hold on, i got to fix that pant right there because there will be ladies starting to text going, your pants are driving me crazy because it's caught on the back of your boot. I get it every week, all right? <laughs> we going to go? we, we going to go? Because you just said, and Jesus is like, no, 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 y'all, 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 y'all sit down. It will not end in death. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever prayed as a church leader You felt God say, yes, you took the step, and nothing happened? If you haven't, you haven't been in ministry very long. All right, God, do you want us to do this? Yes, and you take the step of faith, and you're like, I am all by myself right now. (laughs) I mean, there are people here, that that that's where you are right now. That's where you are. You're like, I thought he said hire the staff member. We hired the staff member, and now we don't have the money to pay him. I thought you said do the capital campaign. I thought you said buy the land. I thought you said buy the building. I thought you said do, God, I thought you said do this, and now we've done it. And where are you? You ever felt like that? We ask God for big things. He leads us to take big steps of faith. Because I'm sure as soon as Jesus said, it will not end to death, everybody said, hey, Jesus has got it. Jesus has got it. Jesus has got it. They might have even preached a sermon called Jesus has got it. Everybody knew that Jesus was like, and, and, and all of a sudden it looked like Jesus didn't have it. 
There are people here today on this campus, you've been asking God for big things, and you thought you heard him, and you could have swore he said yes, and you've taken a step of faith, and now you feel all by yourself. Man, I know what that feels like. Leads to question number two. What am I willing to go through? At some point, I believe in ministry, you and I are going to get tested. I don't care if you're a staff member. I don't care if you're a volunteer. You're going to get tested because I think we've got to figure out. See, God already knows what we're willing to go through. God's not surprised. God's never went, oh, my God. Oh, my me? Like, he's never said that. (laughs) Would that be profanity if he said that? Anyway, so I... God, God knows what we're going through, but sometimes he's going to take us through the fire to see what we're willing to go through. I remember, I, I am Mr. Accident Prone. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't snow ski. I've been snow skiing twice. I rode a medical snowmobile both times. Um, I don't, I, I'm not skydiving. I'm not, I get injured doing everything. So, Lucretia, my wife, who's white, told me one time that we needed to go whitewater rafting. And I was like, I don't really want to go whitewater rafting. Oh, you would love it. It's fun. You couldn't get hurt. Okay. So we, we went whitewater rafting a couple summers ago with some couples, and it was awesome. We were having fun. Um, it, it, it was just great. And we, like, we're going down the river and stuff, and we're getting wet. And, and, and nothing bad had happened until the last rapid of the day. And our God bless. I'm trying to describe what he looked like. Anyway, Frodo. All right, so that's what I called him in my mind. He was sitting in the back, and he said, all right, here's the deal. We're coming up on this last rapid. We've had some fun. I got a question for all y'all. Do y'all want mild or wild? Now, me, I'm like, mild. If we could just go mild. Mild, please. But everybody in the raft is like, wild and I'm like crap because I knew I knew what was gonna happen I was like I'm going to die right here sure enough we went over the rapid and when I say we went over we went over the rapid I came out of the boat and I got caught in one of those things where I don't even know what it is and it sucked me under the water and I was I was caught I couldn't move and I, now I know, don't fight. I didn't know that then, because I'm fighting. I'm swinging. I can't move. I can't breathe. Everything went red, and this is the last thought that went through my mind. This is how I die, right here. <laughs> All of a sudden, I don't know what happened. Something like shot me out of the water, and I, my, my, I remember my head coming above the water and going, <gasps> and then I went back down. And so, and, and I, I'm kind of doing this, and I got, finally got out, and everybody was like, hey, everybody okay? And I was like, Mild or wild? That's the last thing I remember somebody saying. Now, I just described my rafting experience, but some of you go, man, that sounds like last Sunday. I think in ministry, at some point, God's going to look at you and go, mild or wild? You know, mild people never really accomplish anything significant for Jesus. What Bible hero do you have that didn't have to come overcome unbelievable circumstances? I believe God's going to ask us, hey, what are you willing to go through? That's what Jesus did to the apostles. Look, look at this. Let's, let's pick it up in verse um, 
7. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Hey, guys, we're going to go now. That whole Lazarus thing I told you we're going to handle, we're going to handle it. Watch what they said. Watch this. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Now, don't, don't misunderstand this. They're not concerned about Jesus at this point. They're followers of Jesus, right? So everywhere that Jesus goes, they go. So if a group of people are throwing rocks at Jesus, the rocks that do not hit Jesus, and none of them are because he's using his Jedi tricks and rocks are flying all over the place, right? The rocks that don't hit Jesus, who are they hitting? The disciples. So when they're saying, we're really concerned about you, and they're going, the rocks hurt. So, listen, this isn't about, I mean, what they're going is, we don't, want, we don't want wild, we want mild. We're not interested in the rocks. And then Jesus says this, I, I, this watch this, verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by the night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Cleared it right up, didn't he? Come on now, don't get all theological on me. The first time I read that, I went, what the heck does that have to do with a price of tea in China? I have no idea. I'm sure when he said that, they went. Has Driscoll Driscoll got a sermon on that? Because I don't understand what he meant. It's not a crack on Driscoll. He's a friend. He's brilliant. He's forgotten more than I'll ever know. Um. Verse 11, though, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now watch what they do. Watch this. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will be better. In other words, the rocks hurt. Not interested in the rocks, Jesus. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then, Je- so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Oh. Because mm. you said that it wasn't going to end in death. And you just said he's dead. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad, he's no, I'm glad I was not there. So you may believe, but let us go to him. And finally, you've always got one of these in the group, verse 16. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> Fine. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Peter's going to die. Everybody's going to die. I doubt that this is going to be a great thing for any of us. We're going to die. You always got that person on staff, right? Oh, fine. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. That's fine. Thomas got saved at the end of John. Usually that staff member just needs to get saved, all right? 
No, you're well, I'm just the devil's advocate. The devil don't need a freaking advocate. He, I mean, you know what I'm saying? He does a really good job on his own. Just calm down. See, these guys, these guys didn't, these guys wanted progress. They just didn't want pain. And I think as church leaders, sometimes we want progress, but we don't want to perspire, and we don't want pain. You know what? Sometimes that's what it takes. And I'm not saying leave here and start praying for pain. I know people, I'm praying for pain. Well, that's stupid. Don't, don't. My gosh. Really? Well, don't pray for me, okay? Ever. (laughs) But church leader, if you're in the middle of a painful experience right now, it doesn't mean you're stupid. It probably means you're closer to Jesus than you've ever been. You know what I'm saying? Some of you right now are in the most frustrating, confusing hard times in your church if you just open your eyes you'd realize that Jesus is going hey this ain't mild this is wild but I'm about to blow your mind which leads to question number three what am I really wrestling with what am I really wrestling with you ever had an oh crap moment in ministry you ever had one of those Oh, come on now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I've had them. I had one one time. I don't, I've never told this story at a conference. And, man, it was so funny. We had this Christmas service, and it was amazing. And it was one of those Christmas services where I was going to give the band a cue, and the band was going to come out on stage, and, and they were going to play a song. It was going to be amazing. Right? And we had it all planned. And I'm on stage and I said the line. We had a, like a line. We had a signal. You know what I'm talking about, pastors? You got the signal? I had the signal. <laughs> and nobody came. And this is Christmas. Right? They came to church whether they needed it or not. We're full. First service. So I was like, that's all right. Nobody heard. I walked back over, and the band's supposed to be like right over here, and I gave the signal again with emphasis, and nobody came. So I closed my I said, let's pray, because that's what we do sometimes when we freak out or we need to make an announcement. Dear God, bless the men's breakfast at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning in the fellowship hall. And bless that sign up after the church right down front. So we do that sometimes in prayer. So I began to pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your presence. And God, I thank you that the band is right now coming on stage. They were not coming on the stage. (laughs) Dear God, as the band comes on stage, any minute now, and listen, I've got very limited experience on the keyboard. I'm like, I can go up and rock out some Pharaoh Pharaoh, but I don't think that's appropriate <laughs> at Christmas. <laughs> I got in trouble for that in the Baptist church. Anyway, so I... <laughs> so 
Finally, they came out on stage. It's great. It was all, but, but I'm telling you, I felt like, oh, my gosh. What have I gotten into? Now, we've all felt like that. We've all felt like that. We've all had an oh, crap moment. Let me, let me show you the oh, crap moment. Not with Jesus, but with the disciples. Watch this. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He didn't even make the funeral. <laughs> How are you going to say it's not going to end in death and you don't even show up? At, I wouldn't have shown up at the funeral either, Jesus. And he didn't show up on day one after it. Not, I mean, not even a text message, not even a tweet going, I feel sorry for it. You know, it stinks to be Mary and Martha right now, whatever. Jesus showed up four days late. Can you imagine? You're one of the apostles. You're rolling with Jesus. You're looking for rocks. Nothing's happened yet. And all of a sudden, you find out that Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. What do you do? What do you do when you feel like you heard from God? God said to move. You moved. And all of a sudden, your dream dies. And Jesus doesn't seem to be anywhere around what do you do when the wheels fall off what do you do in that time of confusion and what do you do in that time of hurt what do you do in that time where you feel abandoned by God don't tell me Mary and Martha didn't feel abandoned on his verse 18 Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went out to meet him but Mary stayed at home why because she was mad at Jesus because she thought she heard him but then he didn't do what he she thought what she thought he should do and now she's bitter which is where we'll all get if we're not careful hey listen I remember when we were about 75 to 100 people we were meeting in a room um, it, it was just small we were on the campus of Anderson University, and God told us, I mean, I just really felt like God told us we were supposed to move into an 1,100-seat facility on that campus. And I negotiated with the president, and he gave us a great price. And then we had, we had to buy things like sound systems and, and a video projector screen and stuff. We priced it all out, and the total cost for us to move was going to be so I didn't know about capital campaigns, and I didn't know about raising money. And I, you know, I, I just preached on, I did a message. I think it was entitled, We Need $45,000. <laughs> it was awesome. And we didn't do the thermometer thing and color it in. We just did, I, we just did, I, we need $45,000. And we took up an offering on a Sunday night. Now, 53 people gave. 53 people gave $26,000. See, everybody goes, ah, I'm going, we're $19,000 short. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not mad about the 26000 But while everybody in the church is celebrating that 53 people gave $26,000, I'm not sleeping at night because we needed 19 more thousand. And it might as well have been 19 million. Because when I tell y'all we didn't have anything, we didn't have anything. And I got to that place where I was like, God, I, God, I could have swore you said to go here. And now we're $19,000 short, and you're going to let this happen? You ever been there? 
But God came through. God came through. God did an unbelievable work, and he came through. Did you have a $20,000 giver? No, we didn't. We had to go borrow the money. I had to sign for it personally. You know, and I, I, was, I was so broken in debt, I didn't care, like, what they going to get if I don't pay it back. You know, but I... <laughs> But everybody was celebrating. I walked out of the bank going, I just signed a $20,000 note with another elder in the church. This is a scary feeling. We signed up, but you know what? That money got paid back in less than a year and God moved. But it was a scary thing where I had to trust God. Hey, we did a direct mail piece one time, Easter of 2002. And we felt like God told us to do the direct mail piece because we thought 1,000 people were going to show up for Easter. I never will forget that. Thousand people for Easter. I got up and preached. I was like, a thousand people are gonna be here on Easter. And our people were like, Yeah. We sent the direct mail piece out. 573 people showed up for Easter. Not for the first service, the whole thing. That was back during the day when we were not a legitimate church. Like you came to our church, but on on real holidays like Christmas and Easter, you went to your old church. That that's what happened. If, if you're one or two or three years old, you're you still got that going on in your church. And I never will forget feeling like a failure because I told our people a thousand people were showing up. And a thousand people did not show up. 573 people. I went home. I was like, God, I think I missed this. And then August of that year, we went from 504 to 1600 in six weeks. God was like, not in your time. In my time. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like your plan. Hey, 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 hey. We decided this video campus thing is what God's called us to. So video campuses don't work. <laughs> yes, they do. So we decided, man, God has called us to Greenville, South Carolina. We planted a video campus in Greenville, South Carolina. We leased a building, and we dumped about three or four million in it, fixed it up. It was awesome. It was sweet. It was state of the art. So one day I'm driving to work and I'm listening to news talk radio or something. And I hear this little thing about this company called Bilo. It's a grocery store chain in the southeast. And they declared bankruptcy. I was like, hmm, doesn't affect me. When I got to work later on that day, Paul Marshall, our CFO, came to me and said, did you hear Bilo declared bankruptcy? I was like, yeah, man. Stinks to be Balo. He's like, actually, stinks to be us. I'm like, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> he said, we are subleasing our Greenville facility from Balo. So Balo pays the owner, and then we pay Balo, and now Balo's in bankruptcy. We could lose that building. I was like, we ain't going to lose that building. Three weeks later, I'm in a meeting going, we're going to lose the building. Four million dollars. I felt like the biggest idiot on the planet. God, I thought I heard you. God, I thought I heard you say, Yes and amen. And we just, listen, we're one of the only churches in the world that started with a permanent facility and had to go portable. 
We went from around 1,600, 1,700 to 1,100 people in about two weeks. And I'm going, what? In the, oh, my gosh, capital campaign to raise all that money. I thought I heard God say do a capital campaign. We did a capital campaign in 2007. Anybody remember what the housing market did in 2008 and 9 and 10 and 11? I mean, people got to downsize and didn't even have to move. And I felt like, there, guys, just listen to me. There were so many times in this church that I felt like the biggest idiot on the planet. God, I thought I heard you say go here, and God, now I'm here, and now it seems like you're not here. And I've had to wrestle through that question. That's exactly where some people are right now. So Jesus begins this dialogue with Martha. The Bible says in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So many times we want to give God our plans and not our hands. We, want to, we, we go to him for permission and not submission, and so we love to tell Jesus what he should do in our church. So this is just Martha. And listen, she's bitter, she's hurt, because she thought she hurt him. But the Bible goes on to say, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Hint, hint, you weren't here to heal him. Jesus said to her, I am the, re- I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ. She did not answer the question. This is the good Christian answer. Well, I, just, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But right now, I don't know what to say. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. She didn't answer the question, do you, be- do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? She had lost hope that Jesus could do anything with her dead situation. And if you're not there, you've either been there or you're heading there. And I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. I know how this, thing's work. I know how this thing works. And I love this next section. The Bible says, verse 28, And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. I love this. Mary had given up on Jesus, but Jesus had not given up on Mary. And there are church leaders here today. Let me tell you something. I know you, and you would never admit this out loud. You're about ready to throw in the towel and give up on Jesus. And I believe Jesus brought you here to this conference just so you can hear hear this statement. You may want to give up on him. He has not given up on you. Which leads to number four. What am I willing to believe? What am I willing to believe? There are times that God is going to call us to take radical leaps of faith, and it's not going to make sense. And you would figure that God would wait until we're in a position where we could take radical steps of faith, but if we're in the position to take a step of faith, it's not a step of faith. It's not a step of faith unless it doesn't make sense, correct? I remember the first time I ever jumped off a high dive, I'm scared of heights, petrified of heights, and spiders, and clowns. If you have a clown ministry in your church, you should stop that today because that is ungodly and it freaks people. That's why old people freak out in your, in your church all the time. You bring the clowns out, they're going to freak out, I'm telling you. So I don't like heights. I do not like heights, okay? Like, I, I, if I'm st- I, I don't like, I went to Vegas for my 40th birthday, and a friend of mine said, hey, out here in Vegas, they got a bu- they, the tallest building. You can jump off the top of it. 
I'm like, I can smoke crack too, but I'm not, do- I'm not doing either one of those. So, so when I was a kid, I was about eight or nine years old, my uncle and I, and my uncle, he's, he's a big man, he's a boxer, he's kind of, you know, we, we were at this little state park thing, and we we're on this, you know, on the high dive, and he was like, you want to jump off the high dive? I said, I want to jump off the high dive. So I climb up the ladder, and I get to the top, and I look over, and I'm like, ain't no dang way this is going to happen. So I, I, come, I, come back, I come back down, and, you know, and the, there were kids behind me, and they were so encouraging. They were, they, were, they were telling me I could do it, and that I was number one. And so I, I came <laughs> back down the ladder, and my uncle said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. So I went off the low dive a few more times. And then a few minutes later, I was like, I think I'm ready. So I climb up the top, and I, I get over the top, and I look over, and I'm like, ah. No, I'm not going to do it. So I, I come back down, and I got with my uncle. My uncle was not very understanding the second time. Uh, he has what you call redneck in him. If you don't know what redneck is, I mean, if you're from up north, we're glad you're here. Welcome to the south where the tea is sweet and the football teams are actually good. But I, 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 I literally... <laughs> I just lost half of y'all, didn't I? That's fine. Uh, so so he, he kind of went off on me a little bit. and kind of. Um, he's not a Christian, so I'm not going to repeat what he said, but it was not good. It was not affirming, and it did not lift up the name of Jesus, although he did mention the name of God a couple times. And so, <laughs> and with very, very, very clear direction and understanding, he let me know. If I went up, he, said, he looked at me, he said, because I told him, I said, well, I think I'm ready. He said, if you go up that ladder one more time, you ain't coming back down. And I said, well, what you going to do? He said, I will climb up there, and I will throw your off, okay? <laughs> Very fair. And I'm climbing up the ladder going, he ain't going to throw me off this high dive. So I climb up the ladder. This is before lawsuits and stuff took place, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'd sue his butt right now, you know what I'm saying? I climbed up the ladder, and I got over the side, and I was like, look. I was like, I'm not going to go. I turned around. He's standing at the edge of the diving board. And I was like, whoa, 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 let's, whoa, hold on. Let's not get carried away here, Bocephus. I, I just, I, and I walked over to him and I said, well, how do I do, I like, I don't, I'm scared to jump. How do I do it? He, t- he said, turn around, close your eyes, and run. <laughs> um, okay, let me, let me unpack this for a second. You want me to do what? He said, yeah, turn around, close your eyes, and run. He said, Event, you'll, ju- you, you'll just run right off the board. You won't even know. <laughs> I said, I'm not doing that. He said, you're going to do that or I'm throwing you off. you got a choice. I closed my eyes, took off running. I was a little butterball. It took me a long time to get to the edge of the diving board. But <laughs> my parents told me it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen because my legs were... And I was like, oh, my gosh. When I came up out of the water, I was like, that's the most amazing experience ever. I, I jumped off the high dive for the rest of the day. It just took somebody encouraging me to close my eyes and run. <laughs> you know what I think God might be saying to a church leader here today? Close your eyes and run. Close your, close your eyes and run. God, it's scary. I know. Close your eyes and run. God, it doesn't make sense. I know. Close your eyes and run. God, we can't afford it. I know. Oh, you have to tell me how broke you are. I know. <laughs> Close your eyes and run. And you say, Peter, where in the world do you get that? Well, watch this. This is great. Verse 38, if you'll skip around down to verse 38. 
The Bible says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Do what? Take away the stone. That is, isn't it crazy that in the middle of a situation where you should be grieving, worried, and freaked out, Jesus Christ is still going to command you to take a radical step of faith? See, taking taking the stone away didn't make sense. In fact, they argued with him. But Lord, you ever said that? But God, come on, God. But God, you don't understand. God, you don't know my staff. God, you don't know my situation. God, you don't know my community. God, you don't know my area. God, you don't know my finances. God, 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 come on, God. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. Love how John just threw that in there, right there, right? (laughs) By this time, there is a bad odor. For he's been in there four days. You get that, Jesus? Four days. Mister, I missed the funeral. Nothing bad's going to happen. I've got this in my hands. Four days, Jesus. Got it? He stinks, by the way. He stinks because you forgot him and you left him and he's in there. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because you didn't do what we asked you to do in the first place. And we planned because you said this and then we planned this and this didn't happen. And now you're going to all show up and try to be happy. And now you're going to tell us to roll the stone away and it's been four days since he's been in there. That doesn't make sense, Jesus. And I love the way Jesus replied. I love what Jesus said. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you? Now, I just love that phrase right there because I I can hear my mama say that. Did I not tell you? Anyway, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, I love that because Jesus is going, hold up. You better recognize who you're talking to. (laughs) Did I not tell you that this situation would not end in death? And I got news for all y'all. It ain't over until I say it's over. So why don't you just shut up and roll away the stone? I believe Jesus might be speaking to somebody here today going, did I not tell you? In other words, are you going to trust my word? Are you going to give more attention to your worry? Because if we give more attention to our worry, we can't focus on his word. But there's somebody here today that you think it's over. There's somebody here today that you are ready to throw in the towel. There's somebody here that's discouraged. And I think Jesus might say something to you like, oh, did I not tell you that I will build my church? And when I build my church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Did I not tell you that I would build my church? Hey, did I not tell you that you can be confident of this? That if I began a good work in you, that I will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Did I not tell you that? Did I not tell you that I own a cattle on a thousand hills? And if you're broke, I can sell a couple head and send some money your way. Did I not tell you? You got a critic in your church? Did I not tell you that no weapon formed against you will prosper because you are my child. You better stop looking at your circumstances and you better recognize me. Roll away that stone. Roll away that stone. Now I love it right here because the Bible says so they took the they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have always heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. (laughs) 
who don't recognize who I am and who doubt me, that you may believe that, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, at this point, people are rolling their eyes. Did you hear what he said? I think he called Lazarus. I think he's lost his mind. I think somebody hit him in the head with a rock. Until you get to verse 44. The dead man came out. Can you see that? He called that. Somebody want to twit pick that? <laughs> Put that on Instagram. I, I don't. The dead man came out. I, I heard, I've heard so many people say this, and it's true. I think if, I'm, I'm glad he said Lazarus came out. Lazarus, come out, because if he'd have just said, come out, all the dead people would have piled out of there. It'd have been crazy. All the dead people just rushing out of the tomb. It'd been insane. We call that a committee meeting. The dead man. <laughs> the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Isn't it funny that the sick person that needed the most help by the end of the story not only gets brought to life, but gets set free. And it didn't happen the way Mary and Martha wanted it to happen. It happened the way Jesus wanted it to happen. And it was a greater miracle when Jesus had his way than when Mary and Martha had their way. So if you're a church leader and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like ministry is about to overcome you, listen, don't you give up on Jesus because he has not given up on you. His plans are greater than your plans. And if he called you to it, he will see you through it. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. Some of you, he's telling you, hey, take away that stone. And just trust, hey, close your eyes and run. Because I've got this. One of the greatest verses in the scriptures is a verse in John chapter 16, verse 33. This is what he told his apostles. One of the things that we always tell, as, as pastors sometimes we're tempted to lie to people. You know what I'm saying? Have you heard that hymn, Every Day with Jesus Just Gets Sweeter and Sweeter? Oh, people, let me tell you something. Every day with Jesus just gets sweeter and sweeter. Uh-uh. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, I must not be doing something right. Every day with Jesus gets sweeter and sweeter? And then Jesus tells the apostles this in John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things, meaning John 13, 14, 15, and 16, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Hey, church leader, in this world you will have trouble. You will have a staff member quit. You will be betrayed. You will be short on cash. You will get to the point where you thought you heard God, but then you miss God. In this world, you are gonna, you're going to have trouble in ministry. People are going to lie about you. People are going to say things that are wrong about you. 
people are going to accuse you. You are going to have some sleepless nights. It is going to be tough. In this world, you w- not you might have trouble. Not you will have trouble if you don't dot your I's and cross your T's. Hey, I'm telling you, those of you that love me the most, you will have trouble. But then he said this, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, let me tell you where this verse really, really, really came to life for me. Last year, I had the privilege to go to Israel. Never been to Israel. We're supposed to go back in April. We've got a church trip. We've got a bunch of people going. We've had people ask, well, what if Israel bombs Iran? Then we won't go. <laughs> what if they bomb them while we're there? I think that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've been to Israel or not, but if you ever get a chance to go, I'm telling you, it's amazing. I just, just being there. And uh, I had somebody tell me, so when you get to Israel, you're going to have a God moment. There's going to be somewhere where you just have a moment where just God just blows your mind and rocks your world. When I didn't have one, I had three. I had one at Caesarea Philippi, at the place where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I had one in the Garden of Gethsemane, which just might have been one of the most powerful moments I ever experienced. But the most, hands down, the most powerful moment I experienced when I was in Israel was when I went to the garden tomb. Now there's two places where they dispute that Jesus might have been buried and I don't care about, I'm just telling you, I I was in the garden tomb and the presence of God was as real to me as he's ever been. And we got a picture of it. We took a picture of it while we were there. That's the garden tomb. And um, I peeked my head in, he's not in there. No, I did. You can walk in there. You can look around. This is where some people argue that that Jesus was buried. And I never will forget that. We're going to leave this up. I never will forget my experience at the garden tomb because I stood there and I looked at that tomb and everybody with me was crying. I mean, we all, we just lost it. And I stood there and I looked at my tomb. I, I looked at that tomb and I said, He took the best the world had to offer. They didn't just kill him. They humiliated him. Crown of thorns, nails in his arms, nails in his leg, spear in his side, blood poured out. They murdered my Savior. And they put him there. And three days later, he was like, Is that all you got? When he said, take heart, I've overcome the world, he took the best shot the world had, and he walked away. I don't know how he turned a crucifixion into a resurrection. I just know that's what he does. Here's the thought that got me. The same Jesus... If you're a follower of Christ that lives in there, lives in here. And if he overcame that, then we as his followers can overcome any ministry challenge that comes our way because we follow the one who all he does is win. He don't know how to lose. All he does is win. And the same Jesus that was in there 
is in here. And if that's true, then you have the authority and the power and the ability to walk out of this room today with your head held high as a winner. Because if he brought you to it, he will lead you through it. You might feel like it's Friday, but Sunday's. Sunday's coming. Amen. My hope and my prayer is that you would hold on just a little while longer. You thought you heard God? I would say you probably did. You're not stupid. It's just going to happen in his time, not yours. And you know what I've discovered personally? Sometimes i got to worship my way out of a situation. Like Paul and Silas in Acts 16, they're like, we in prison. We're just going to have to worship. And they started worshiping, and the ground started shaking, and all the chains flew off. I mean, sometimes we got to worship our way out of this situation. So for the next several moments, I want us to have a worship moment together. Listen, where you don't focus on your circumstances, you don't focus on what's wrong, You don't focus on all hell breaking loose back home. You don't focus on that call that you got during the break. You focus on Jesus, who has all authority. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. He rules and he reigns. And one day, he's coming back on a white horse to end this party and take us home. But until then, you and I are called to not give up, but to hang in there and listen to his word rather than our worries. I want us to have a worship moment together where we celebrate who Jesus is and what he's called us to do, not to be overwhelmed, but to overcome. Can we pray? Father, during these next few moments together, God, we've we've learned so much. God, I thank you that every person here has gotten an idea, a thought, something they want to do, something they don't want to do, something they want to start doing, something they want to stop doing. And God, I praise you and I thank you for everything that's happened here today. But God, for right now, I want to pray for that pastor. And it feels alone. And God, he thought he heard your voice. And he's at a place and he just don't know what to do because it just seems like you're not going to come through for him. God, I want to pray for that church. God, that they're here and they're having a good time, but God, there's a serious issue waiting on them when they get home. God, I want to pray for that pastor right now that's feeling like he's going through more criticism than he ever signed up for. God, I want to pray for the pastor's wife right now, Jesus, that loves her husband so much, but it's becoming bitter at the church because of what she's seeing her husband have to go through and endure. God, I want to pray for every one of these people that in this moment, even if it's just for several minutes, Jesus, that we will take our eyes off of our circumstances. And Jesus, we will place them on you. Because you are the one who was, and who is, and who is to come. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And you reign over every circumstance, even the one in our church. 
I pray that during these next few moments, Jesus, that our focus would be on you and we would celebrate the victory that you have promised to your bride, the church. In Jesus' name I pray.